Amen. Please be seated. And if you have your copy of the scriptures, I would invite you to turn with me to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 5. I will tell you honestly that last, uh, earlier this week, this is not where I expected to be standing. Uh, I was supposed to be preaching Luke chapter 6 uh, in Tegucigalpa, Honduras this evening. But because of some sickness with our family, uh, we are here. And it is a great joy. Uh, Sean reminded me that, and as it's already been mentioned, that I, uh, he attended my ordination service in Yazoo City, Mississippi, uh, some seven years ago, eight years ago this year. will be eight years. And so grateful for the friendship through the years and grateful for the opportunity to preach God's word this evening. We have come not to hear from Aaron. We've come to hear from the Lord. And what we're about to do is listen to the word of God. And the word of God is the power unto salvation. So I implore you to pay attention to what God has to say to us. This is the power unto salvation. It has the power to save. If you are an unbeliever amongst us, hear the word and return to Christ. If you're backslidden, hear the word and come to the Savior. If you're a believer, find great joy in the joy of the faithfulness of the God that we see in this text. Let us read God's word together. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you who led out and brought in Israel. And the Lord said to you, You shall be shepherd of my people Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king of Hebron, And King David made covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven seven years and six months. And at Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. And the king and his men went to Jerusalem against the Jebusites, the inhabitants of the land, who said to David, You will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off, thinking, David cannot come in here. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is, the city of David. And David said on that day, Whoever would strike the Jebusites, let him get up the water shaft to attack the lame and the blind, who are hated by David's soul. Therefore it is said, The blind and the lame shall not come into the house. And David lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David. And David built the city all around from the Milo inward. And David became greater and greater. For the Lord, the God of hosts, was with him. And Abraham, uh, sorry, and Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David in cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron. And more sons and daughters were born to David. And, there, and these are the names of those who were born to him in Jerusalem. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jephiah, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphalet. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, all the Philistines went up to search for David. But David heard of it and went down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim, and David inquired of the Lord, 
Shall I go up against the Philistines? Will, will you give them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, Go up, for I certainly, I will certainly give the Philistines into your hand. And David came to Baal Perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of that place is called Baal Perazim. And the Philistines left their idols there. And David and his men carried them away. And the Philistines came up yet again and spread out in the valley of the Rephaim. And when David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go up. Go around to their rear and come against them opposite the balsam trees. And when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. And David did as the Lord commanded him and struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our Lord stands forever. Let us seek the Lord's help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word does not return void. We thank you that you are the faithful God who has, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh Lord, we have come to hear from your word. We ask that you would correct us and rebuke us, that you would lift our eyes heavenward to see your glorious faithfulness to your people. Oh Lord, we ask that your name would be magnified amongst us, that we would not hear from a man, but that we would hear from your word, that you would help us to grow in our love and affection for King Jesus. Oh Lord, we pray that as we hear your word, that you would change us, that you would cause us to love you evermore. And we pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. Oftentimes we all don't um, love the idea of change. When I was in Yazoo City, Mississippi, one of the things that drove me nuts when I first moved there was that everybody sat in the exact same spot every Sunday. And when I first got there, my goal was to sit in everybody's seat so they were forced to sit somewhere else. And I thought it was a very annoying trait because it meant that we never had visitors to upset the seating chart. But now, having left there, one of the things I love is that I can close my eyes on a Sunday morning anywhere I am and I know where everybody is sitting. I know that they have gathered to worship the Lord. And there's something comforting about things not changing. There's a little place in Tegucigalpa, Honduras that's called El Patio. El Patio is a steak place and if you ever come visit us I would love to take you there and the thing that I love about El Patio is that I can take Americans there and every time they come they love the food because it never changes. It's always the same. The steak has tasted the same since I was two years old and we were going there as a family. But one of the things that I thought the most about that I love about things that don't change is when I was a kid we traveled to the States uh, to Nashville, Tennessee, and that's where my grandparents lived. And Gaga and Papa lived uh, near downtown, and they had lived in the same house since 1948. One of the things that I remember the most is I could, I, I could walk in, and I still remember the way that metal door sounded when it opened, and then the two steps that went into their living room, and then the first thing that hit me was the smell of my grandparents' house. I can still smell it. I can catch a whiff of it and I can close my eyes and I'm there. And what this has to do with this text is that this text is covered in the smell of God's faithfulness. 
Everything that is in this text is designed to help us think about the faithfulness of our God to David time after time after time. You see, this text doesn't happen in chronological order. It's different parts of David's life put together. And what you see is that it is designed for us to stop and reflect on the goodness of our God in keeping his word to David. And as we look at that faithfulness, we see that our God is unchanging. We see that our God stays the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so that's what I would like for us to do this evening. As we even think about the Lord being faithful to this church in bringing Sean and his family here, that we would see that our God has not changed one bit. And the first way we see that is his faithfulness to the promise. His faithfulness to the promise. And we see that in verses 1 to 10. We see that this whole group of people in verses 1 to 3 has, have shown up. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are, bone of your, and your, we are your bone and flesh, and we have come here for a purpose. We've come to anoint you, David. And they give those reasons. We've come because you are our flesh. We've come because you're the one who has shown leadership over us. You're the one who took us in and took us out under Saul. But you notice their main reason. They said... At the end of verse 2, it says, And the Lord said, You shall shepherd my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So the reason they have shown up to anoint David is because of God's word. Because of what God has said about David. These people have shown up because they recognize that God has been faithful to his word and David is the anointed king. That is why they are there. But for a little bit of context of who's showing up, let's flip over to 1 Chronicles chapter 12. 1 Chronicles chapter 12. And you get a little bit of what's actually going on in the texts and who has shown up. 1 Chronicles 12 verse 38 and following. It says, All these men, men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart, to make David king over Israel. Likewise, all the rest of Israel were of a single mind to make David king. And they were there with David for three days, eating and drinking for their brothers and made preparation for them. So this is all of Israel's army showing up to make David king. It is some 300,000 men that have shown up. Knoxville proper has 180,000 inhabitants. So approximately double that, right? And you have all of them showing up in battle garb and they are throwing a party. They are there for three days eating and drinking because of the faithfulness of God to establish David as king. Because God has been faithful to his word. In verse 3, it says, going back to chapter 5, it says, So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. You see, they've come with the purpose of recognizing what God said he would do. They've come to make David king, and you, you, you have to think for a second about David. We're going to talk about it in verses 11 and 12 when he recognizes what's going on. But you have to think that after all the years of opposition, all the years of waiting, the times when he was only king over just a part of Israel, not all of Israel, and now 300,000 men have shown up to make David the king over Israel. 
You have to think of him being in a cave and wondering, how is this the promise? How is this what it was supposed to feel like? And now, looking out and seeing 300,000 men there to anoint him as the king. God has been faithful to his word. The promise has stayed true. It has held firm. There's nothing that can destroy the word of God. There's nothing that can change it. There's nothing that can hold it back. It, it may seem like time is it changing it. It may seem that there's all kinds of resistance against it. But the Lord is faithful to his word. All the sins of men and nothing has changed his faithfulness to his word. All the things that have happened. And I love what Ralph Davis says here in this section. He says, and this is where, where at some level you see God saying, you want to see an illustration of this? The Jebusites. And oftentimes we go, how do we see faithfulness and Jebusites together? That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why, why the Jebusites? Well, if you'll turn with me one more time to Genesis in chapter 18, or chapter 15. Genesis in chapter 15. God is making his covenant with Abraham. You see that, that God in verses 18 to 21 gives a whole list of what he's going to do. And in verse 18 he says, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the, the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. How many years has it been between these two things? It's been 800 years of waiting. And God has not changed. He's continued to be faithful to his word. There's been this long waiting and waiting and waiting and David feeling the weight of this promise and yet God has been it had this in his mind since the beginning of time. He has set his love upon these people and he has come to this point and he has kept his word 800 years. And you think how often we can't wait the five seconds for the next Netflix show to click on. 800 years of waiting for God to finish this word. The Jebusites were the end, the, the city of David, where David would have his house built. This is God showing forth his faithfulness to his promise. That he does not stop. That time doesn't change it. That enemies can't change it. That our lack of faith doesn't diminish it. Because the idea is that the promise is not based on David. The promise is based on God. It's based on his character to finish the work. He has said that he would keep his promise. And so you can think that as, as we get to the center part of this text, I'm not going to go into all the ways that they broke into the Jebusites and all that. I want to give us an overview of what's going on. And we read that David understands what is actually happening. It's almost as if with the hymn writer that wrote, Oh love that will not lo let me go, David is saying, Oh joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain that morn shall tearless be. He can look back and as he hears the word Jebusites, there's a promise that God is continuing to be faithful to his word that he's been faithful to since the beginning and will not stop being faithful to. And that's what brings us to the second thing understanding his faithfulness. You look at verses 11 and 12. 
And it says, And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent messengers to David. This would be people from outside of Israel sending people, things to David. And they send him things so that he can establish his kingdoms. His kingdom. Cedar trees, also carpenters and masons who built David a house. And you see what David recognizes. David knew that the Lord had established him king over Israel. David, in the moment, begins to reflect on what God has done. That it is God who has placed him here. The moments that he sat in the cave with opportunity to kill Saul. We can think about those moments when he's writing psalms about his fear and his being hunted by enemies. And now he's standing with 300,000 men in front of him. And and the word is, he understood that it was God who had made him king. There was nothing that David had done to make himself king. There was nothing that David had done. Actually, what we're going to continue to see in the next verse is David's, David's lack of fidelity to God. And yet we see that God is being faithful to his promise. Because what David began to understand is what what does it say in the text? That the Lord had established him. Who had established him? The Lord had established him to be king over Israel. And that he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people. Do you see what David begins to understand? Is that the story is not about David. The story is about God. That he's beginning to understand that that it is not him who has been established so that he can be famous, but it is him that has been established so that God can show that it is him who is the king over all. And it is God who has exalted him. You see, when we look at this story and we think that David's the main point, we're, we're missing it. You see, we must see that God is the one acting in all of this. We look to to God, the one who sustains, the God who never changes, the faithful God. And why is he doing it? He's doing it for his people. He's doing it that he might be faithful to his word, to uphold his character. And the, the design, brethren, is that we would look to this God. The design is that we would look to the faithfulness of this God in this text. As he's being faithful to David, he has not been stopped being faithful to us. Tonight, as we celebrate this joyous occasion of Sean being installed here, the Lord is being faithful to his church and giving her another pastor to serve this church. And we pray that what Sean would recognize is, is God's faithfulness to him, that you would what you would recognize is, is God's faithfulness to you in providing you leaders within your midst that can serve Christ, that, that in a way, like David, Sean and your other elders would be overwhelmed with what God is doing amongst you and recognizing that it is God who is establishing this church. It is God who is going to be faithful to his bride. It is God who is going to be faithful to his people. It's also interesting that it oftentimes when we, we want to think that we want to look towards men and, and, and trust men, the idea is that this is drawing us to trust the God of those men. The design is to point us towards, towards God and not towards David. It's to look at that, that all the, the trust is in God. So that's what I would encourage you to do even this evening, brethren. 
I don't know how you've come this evening. Maybe your situations are difficult. You're a mom with a lot of kids at home and it's chaos and the situations are difficult and you can find yourself resting on your laurels or there's been a cancer diagnosis or there's been a difficult situation and you think about David and the and the whole story of David's life we're getting this as he's understanding that that this is all God doing this but there are moments that were hard there are moments that were difficult there are moments when seeing the promise probably seemed hard and what we don't do is judge our situation based or our God's faithfulness based on our situation we judge our situation based on the faithfulness of our God. And so we look to our God and understand that in the midst of our battles day to day, our struggles as parents, our struggles as workers, our struggles with our sins as husbands and wives, we we look to this God, the one who is faithful, the one who is continuing to do the work that he has promised that he would do, and we, we trust him and his faithfulness to us. That's your hope tonight. Is this faithful God who works for the good of his people And that's what he is doing in this text. And that gives us the center point. The center idea is that it is all driven to the fact that this God is being established. Is being faithful in establishing his kingdom. It's interesting that right after we see the second point of understanding his faithfulness. We also see the third point of the unfaithfulness of man. It's a very fleeting moment of mention. But in verse 13, it says, And David took more concubines and wives from Jerusalem after he came from Hebron, and more sons and daughters were born to David. You see, what is designed here for us to do once again is we, have, we live in a day where we want hero worship. We want to have these big all-star people that we can put up And David was that. But we're being reminded that David is just a foreshadow of the great king that we, that the people of Israel were longing for. This king is not the perfect king. This king had his besetting sin. And we're going to see that as you... As you trounce along in 2 Samuel, he's going to fall into this pretty heavy in chapter 11 and 12. We're going to see where David goes with his besetting sin. But there's a warning here of don't look to this king. David is a sinner. This king is going to fail. But the promise is being established so that you will look forward to the king that is to come, the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the unfaithfulness of this king causes us to do, to hope in the one who won't fail. And so as we, we, we look at our tendencies, brethren, to want to lift up man, again, we're reminded, your hope, your hope is not in humans. Yes, we are thankful that, that Sean and Dr. Wilborn are pastors here. But your hope is not in them. Your hope is not in me. The, my, the church in Honduras' hope is not in me. It's in our God. We want men who will rightly divide the word. We want men who will stand upon principle and live godly lives for the sake of Christ. They will hate their sin and they will point to Jesus. And so there's a charge here to us as leaders in the church at some level to pay attention to our life and doctrine. 
to pay attention because there's a word of warning here that David's besetting sins. It wasn't something new just when Bathsheba shows up. No, this has been a a Davidic problem. So don't find your hope in your pastors. Find your hope in the God of your pastors. Look to the king. Look to the promised one. The one who will be perfect in fighting for you and, and showing you continual faithfulness more than any man could ever do. And how do we see that continued faithfulness? And I'll close with this. We see it in the last section of the text. We see that God continues to be faithful to David and to his people when the Philistines hear about David's uh, being anointed. The Philistines, rightly so, hear that David has been anointed. They've had their run-ins with David before. So they get worked up and they, they hear now that David is the anointed king and they go in search of David. First chapter, or in verse 17, David hears of it. And he goes down to see what's going on. And all, you can see again, he's just had this image of all these people there to anoint him. And now he has this whole valley filled with people there to kill him. That want to destroy him. And we see a character difference between David and Saul. We read in the text, as he looks over that valley of Rephaim, and David did what? He inquired of the Lord. David's tendency, even being a sinful man who was fallen, a man who needed this this God, went and asked the Lord what he should do. He goes to his God and asks for insight. And not only does he ask for the insight, he obeys what he hears from God, as a faithful man should do. Verse 25 says, And David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines from Geba to Gezer. So the idea is that his natural inclination is to go to his God and to obey him. But why does he go to this God? Because this is a God who is faithful. You read in the text what this God is going to do for them. Verse 20, it says, And David came to Baal-perazim, and David defeated them there. And he said, The Lord has broken through my enemies before me like a breaking flood. Therefore, the name of this place is called Baal Perazim. What we see first and foremost is that this God is fighting for his people. He is being faithful to his people. And in verse 24, we we read that he goes out before them. It says, and when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then rouse yourselves for the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army of the Philistines. You see, this God is not a weak God. This is not a God who sits back and sees what happens. No, this is a God who is actively fighting for the glory of his name and his people. He's not sitting back. He's not a weak God, as, again, Ralph Davis mentioned so cleverly. He said, unlike the weak gods of verse 21, and the Philistines left their idols there, right? So they see the power of this God, and and they run from their idols, Right, the, the sense of this God is truly powerful. The one who is broken through. The one who goes before. And so what should that help us do as believers? It should help us find hope in this God who, who is faithful to us. 
who doesn't change as, as all the things begin to break in on us and we cannot see the rainbow for the rain, but we know that behind the stormy clouds our, our God is, is directing all things for our good and for His glory, that we can trust His faithfulness, that we can look up and trust that He is the one who is going to break through. And even as we sang this evening, Christ the Lord is risen today, it says, Vain the stone the watch, the seal, alleluia. Christ has burst the gates of hell, alleluia. Death in vain forbids his rise, alleluia. Christ has opened paradise, alleluia. You want to know how your Christ fights for you? He has broken through the chains of the enemy to give you life, to give you paradise, to give you hope, to give you the opportunity to have everlasting life with the living God. There is hope for the believer this evening. There's hope for the unbeliever this evening. He will fight for you. He is your God. He has not changed. He is the same God that has gone out before the people of Israel in this text, before David, and shown his faithfulness. And so you can trust him. And I plead with you. I plead with you. Maybe you find yourself this evening beaten down and trodden over and struggling with the realities of all that life has brought you. But you can think with David all the difficulties that David went through and you can see in this text the faithfulness of this God to not be a weak God but to be a very active God who fights for his people. How did he fight for his people? He put Christ on the cross. He sent his son to die that he might suffer death for your sake. Take the punishment of your sin and sit in the grave for three days and descend to hell. And then rise again and break through that the veil might be broken, that you might have hope this evening. That's the glory of the gospel. That's the king we serve. That's the God we have. He hasn't changed. He's the faithful God. So I would plead with you, if you're an unbeliever, come to this God. You may say, Aaron, you don't know how bad my history is. Well, I know how bad David's history was. And God lovingly saved David. I know my history, what was to be dead in my trespasses and sins. And the Lord gave me life. Because I know that's the same story for any believer that is sitting here. So don't let that hinder you. Come to this Christ who willingly gives you salvation, if you will, call upon Christ's name. Maybe you're a believer that's backslidden. It's been a long year, a long two years. There's besetting sins in your life that you have difficulty mentioning or talking about. I would plead with you. That you would confess those to Christ and return to the sweet arms of your Savior who is willingly and active and ready to receive you. Maybe you're a believer and you're walking through some difficult times. I would implore you to look to this King who's been faithful time and time again. Trace the rainbow through the rain. Look to the faithfulness that he has shown time and time again to you. Because he is committed to finishing the work he began in you. Look to this Christ. 
You know that house that my grandparents lived in? They moved out of about 20 years ago. I can't ever go back and smell the den at my grandparents' house again. One day, El Patio is probably going to close in Tegucigalpa. And I will never be able to get that cut of meat the way that I always get it in Tegucigalpa. But for the rest of eternity, this God is going to be the same. And he is not going to change. He's going to fight for his people and he's going to be faithful to them. And so the the point of this text, brethren, is to draw our eyes heavenward, to look to our God and find hope, not in ourselves, not in our situations, not in what's going on around us, but in a God who never changes. Look to the glory of your God. Focus on what he has done and see his faithfulness to you. See his faithfulness to you in Christ Jesus and rejoice. Rejoice that if you are a believer, you have hope that can never be taken away. Because King Jesus will finish the work he began. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We're thankful that it doesn't ever return void. Oh God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. We are thankful that you preach better sermons than the ones that were prepared. We're thankful that your word does not return void. And oh Lord, we ask that you would apply it to our hearts. Oh Lord, that you would call sinners home even this evening. That you would call those of us who are at times walking through difficulties, O Lord, to look to our God and not to our situations. O Lord, to find hope in the everlasting God, the immutable God who never changes. O Lord, help us to delight in your character. To delight in the fact that we can trust you and trust your word. O Lord, that you would be our great hope. And that we would be reminded that our hope is not here, but we are pilgrims headed to a better country. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.